Welcome to PodClass with Lara Axtell. As an experienced educator, Lara explores the latest educational research and practical solutions from experts, educators, and parents with the goal of increasing knowledge, improving student outcomes, and creating connections. PodClass is brought to you by Reading Horizons, whose mission is to empower teachers by providing training and tools needed to implement dynamic structured literacy instruction in the classroom. Visit readinghorizons.com to learn more. And now, PodClass with your host, Laura Axtell. Welcome to this episode of PodClass. I'm Laura Axtell, your host. On our last episode, I had a wonderful conversation with Dr. Jeffrey Borman about the difficulties that students often face during the transition to middle school. His research that provided a simple and inexpensive intervention has shown to be successful in helping students with the social and emotional impact of such a major change. Today, we're going to be continuing that discussion with Lindsay, a coordinator for social-emotional learning in Atlanta Public Schools. We started by talking about social-emotional learning for students, but as you'll hear, Lindsay had some important things to say about adults, particularly the teachers who are in the classroom all day. Her perspective is valuable as we consider how to best support children and adults in schools. I hope you'll agree. Hello, Lindsay. Welcome to PodClast. Thanks for joining us to discuss a really interesting topic that probably doesn't get discussed as much as it should. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Let's start by having you tell us about yourself and your current role, and then we'll dive right in. Okay, wonderful. My name is Lindsay Vichowkowski, and I started my educational career around 20 years ago. I've been in education, started as a classroom teacher, and then transitioned from a coach to now a social and emotional learning coordinator in Atlanta Public Schools. So I began the social and emotional initiative in the district along with my colleagues on a team. And we really were the forefront of really figuring out what does SEL look like in Atlanta public schools. So now it's been five years and we've rolled out across the district to all 82 traditional schools and have really seen a lot of success. So for those who might not know, could you just explain a little bit about the purpose and goals of social and emotional learning programs in public schools? Yeah, absolutely. So social and emotional learning, um, also known as SEL, is defined largely by CASEL, the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning, which they're a large research entity and organization that lobbies for policy change towards social and emotional learning. And they broadly define social-emotional learning as the processes through which children and adults develop fundamental emotional and social competencies to really understand their own emotions to set and achieve positive goals and feel and show empathy for others while maintaining positive relationships and making good choices. If you notice in that definition, right, it really revolves around processes through which we learn these things and that it's children, which is obviously our primary audience for K-12 education, but also adults. So it's kind of this new way of thinking that not only do we have IQ or intellectual ability, but we also have an EQ, which is this emotional intelligence that also should be cultivated along with a whole child education. 
So a lot of people would probably say, and I've heard even teachers say this, you know, that isn't that the kind of thing that kids should be learning at home? And, you know, aren't parents really responsible for helping develop those aspects? So how does this connect to schools? That's a really good question. Um, yeah, our, our parents are primary givers of our value system, right? And a lot of us have uh, cultural beliefs, religious beliefs. But ultimately, when we come to school, we're all coming to the same place where we need to develop a belief system about what learning looks like. And learning needs to be done in a way that really supports students with the ability to collaborate, to manage their emotions, to uh, be able to maintain positive relationships. And this has to be done through teacher modeling, right? And also by the assignments or activities that we give students. And then explicitly teaching students skills. I know I'm a parent, but I don't wouldn't necessarily talk to my children about emotional management or using breathing exercises. So we're giving kids tools that they can use in their lifetime, in the career place, to be able to really manage their lives in a way that makes them feel balanced and, I guess, feel well-developed. So that's really why it's called SEL, that social-emotional learning piece. Yeah, these are skills that we learn, right? And that we're always learning. So children really or students really spend more time at school than they do with their primary caregiver, a parent or a guardian. So really having kids learn these skills at school in a way that's really purposeful is really critical to development. And so what are the kind of the the outcomes that the program is looking for as it relates to what happens in schools? So I think that we're looking specifically for children, right, or students feeling connected to school, feeling like they have a trusting or caring adult, being able to be risk takers in the learning space so that they can meet the rigorous demands of school. I think that short term, right, we want to really improve students' attitudes about self and school and others. We want to have a positive climate in the school and in the classroom, and we want to reduce, right, feelings of emotional distress that students might have. And then long term, we want to increase graduation rates, ultimately, and college attendance, and we want to increase students' capability or ability for employment, right, and having skills that employers want, and increase their ability to have more emotional, mental, and physical health. So it sounds like that translates to metrics like graduation rates, but also if students feel better about coming to school, that would in translate to like better attendance, that kind of thing? Yeah. So I think that you could look at teacher attendance, right? Because if teachers are in an environment that they feel is a safe place for them, that they feel excited to come to, right? That's the adult social and emotional learning piece. They are going to um, have higher attendance for teachers. We're looking at attendance for students, right? And students coming not just to school, but wanting to come on time because usually we have our social and emotional learning block where we're explicitly teaching the skills in the morning. So are students more excited to come in the beyond time and more excited to come to school in general? We're also looking at discipline right? So our students, are we dealing with discipline in, in different ways where we're actually reteaching a skill versus being more punitive and, uh, you know, using exclusionary practices like zero tolerance, you know, with the SEL, we're moving away from that 
and we're looking at what does it mean to be a responsible member of our community and what does it mean to be accountable to the community and make things right when we've done something that, you know, wasn't appropriate. So I would assume, I guess, that a lot of your work comes out of a lot of the information around trauma and trauma-based issues as students, you know, have behavior problems in schools and things like that. Is there a connection with trauma? I mean, absolutely. Trauma is something really that we all have to, to some degree in some communities because of violence or because of poverty, you might experience more trauma, right? So you might have students coming in that are exhibiting behaviors or not feeling safe in general. So having an environment where students feel safe is really critical to students being able to access the ability to learn it all. However, since social and emotional learning is less of a response to behavior and more of a proactive, right, we're learning, that's the learning piece in SEL, we're really looking at not just what the trauma piece is, but what are the resiliency skills that students need, right, so that they can handle their experiences, traumatic and not, right? How are students aware of their nervous system and when they feel upset or when something's triggering them and how do they respond to that in a way that's going to help themselves to calm down? So we do a lot of breathing exercises. We have spaces in our schools that are calming spaces that kids can go just take a break when they feel overwhelmed. We have adults in the school who are trained on understanding, you know, where when students are in their resiliency zone and how to support a student, right, to kind of get back into that space of resiliency instead of being in more of a fight or flight or emotional distress. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment. Podcast is brought to you by Reading Horizons the creator of a structured literacy program for beginning readers, struggling readers, and English language learners of all ages. By combining professional development, teacher-led instruction, and data-driven software, students receive targeted instruction that leads to efficient reading improvement. Visit readinghorizons.com demo to see how Reading Horizons can transform your reading instruction. So what are some of the biggest factors that you see that impact students socially and emotionally, particularly in middle school, since that's what we're going to kind of focus on today? Yeah, exactly. So I would say that across the board, elementary, middle and high school, there are a few factors that are really critical for all areas. And I think that in some of this, you can really speak to the critical importance, or I will try to speak to the critical importance of that piece in middle school. But ultimately, from the last five years of rolling out social and emotional learning in a large urban district, what I have found out and our team has found out and really talked about is the importance of adult social and emotional competency. So the adults really matter. How the adults understand social and emotional learning, their ability to model those skills, and their ability to collaborate with others so that social and emotional learning is really infused into everything is really important in order to support students. At the student level, one of the simplest things is really just making sure that the time is scheduled in the school day, specifically with middle school, right, where we have such tight schedules, making sure that there's a block of time and a consistent basis where students have that space to be able to really, you know, when you look at middle school, there's a lot of social needs there, right? Students have new feelings about the world, about themselves, and they're really grappling with those. And then I think if you add on, you know, things that they might be experiencing at home, 
and the challenges of school, right, there's a lot for them to be processing. So really creating spaces in schools where kids can have this sense-making in addition to learning skills to help them cope with some of the challenges that might be coming, you know, as they are, you know, going into a more structured, you know, uh, switching classes, having to learn organization skills, all of those pieces are really important for middle schoolers to be successful. Yes, and on our last episode, we heard from Dr. Borman, and he talked a lot about how middle school is really the probably the biggest transition students make rather than junior high and high school, which gets a lot of focus because of all the things you just mentioned. They're going from having that, you know, that single teacher and maybe all the students in their same class. Now they're switching class. I mean, there's a lot going on. So do you agree that, you know, that is maybe the biggest transition students face socially and emotionally on their road? If they do that well, then things tend to be better later on? Yeah, so I would agree 100% that it is probably that it is the biggest transition. Um, And it's just exactly for the reasons that you mentioned, you know, and I think that the mindset about students also changes from the adults in middle school. So I think we have different expectations of students where maybe just, you know, four months ago when they were in fifth grade, right, they're all sort of in this cozy space and teachers see them more as children. I think in middle school, there's more of an expectation that now we're grooming adults, and I think that transition is, is, is really hard. But I also think that while having a really solid SEL program in middle school where teachers and leaders can make that transition easier for students, right, and help give the, the students the skills they need through re- regular advisory periods, I also think that having a strong program in elementary school to help support students with cultivating those skills so that they're ready for middle school is also really important. So that whole piece about really the adults need training as well. And teachers need to be really tapped into SEL in terms of helping their students. Are there things that you could recommend if a school or a district was really wanting to start this process? What, where would they start? What would they take a look at? So I would agree that you would start with the adults. I think that adults need to know what social and emotional learning is. So I think training is really key, starting off with training, getting people to understand. And then I think supporting teachers and leaders with their own social and emotional competency. Our teachers in our schools have a lot of vicarious trauma through you know, really working with students who may be in crisis, right? The stress of the job, helping teachers to understand that they're humans and that it's important for them to deal, to take time for themselves to deal with their own social and emotional competency, right? How are you managing your emotions? Those pieces are really important. I think modeling is important. If you've never done this before, you can't do what you've never seen. So I think it's important for modeling to be an aspect of that as well. And then I think if if districts are starting this, then really every department needs to be trained across central office in what does social and emotional learning look like in human resources? What does it look like in transportation? Because really every single adult in the district is a teacher to students, right? Or impacts students at some level. There are lots of resources online. Actually, um, CASEL that I mentioned before, you can go to castle.org. 
and they have a great resource for adult social and emotional competency in the workplace. And there's tons of activities that can be done on different aspects of social and emotional learning. Edutopia, for example, Edutopia has great videos on um, social and emotional learning. Brain-based learning is also an aspect of social and emotional learning. How to complete service learning projects, which also support students' social and emotional skill development. All of those uh, videos and things for modeling what that might look like can be found on Edutopia. So, you know, really, those are some good resources that I would recommend. Could you just give an example of something in a school or a group of teachers that you've worked with or something like that, that that you really saw this have a bigger impact, you know, just when you were like, yes, this is great. Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you, Laura. This has been one of the most rewarding things about being in this position is being able to go into schools and really support the adults. Because I know that when they go into the classroom, that they're going to feel like someone cares about them. And that in turn is going to help them to feel more equipped to support students. So one of the things, for example, that I've been doing is just going to schools and talking to teachers about their self-care, helping them understand that you can just take a few minutes to, you know, have a mindful moment, right, to connect with others in your life that really matter to you. And that it just takes a few minutes each day to make that happen so that you feel, you know, completely well. Because without having a whole teacher, we can't really talk about whole child education. And so, you know, people will come up to me after the sessions and they'll tell me that they were feeling burnt out and they were thinking about quitting and that now they're going to go back to the yoga that they were doing or they're going to go back to, you know, calling their friend on the way home from work and thinking about ways to take care of themselves and thanking me. So, you know, in some ways, it feels like it doesn't take much. It's just reminding people or giving people permission to take care of themselves. So that's been a really nice thing. Uh, so that's probably really a topic that we don't address enough, which is just that the social emotional piece for teachers. It's a hard job. Yeah, I mean, it's a hard job. And the teachers that I see in Atlanta public schools are doing it with such beauty and such grace. I mean, just going into classrooms and seeing some of the lessons, it's you know, they're, they're beautiful. They're well executed. It takes a lot to make that happen, um, to teach an environment where you have so many different needs and so many different students. And then the demands of, you know, high stakes testing. And I think that, you know, supporting teachers, encouraging them and helping them to understand what does emotional management look like, right? Why are developing relationships on the staff so important? How do those help you have a better adult culture in your building? And why is that important for instruction? Looking at your ability to plan and maintain small goals that you can get to larger ones. All of these pieces are things that just because we turn 18 or just because we finish college or just because we get into the workplace, it doesn't mean that we've all cultivated these skills or thought critically about them for ourselves. And if we're not thinking critically about these skills for ourselves, it's really impossible for us to support students with that. Could you talk a little bit about when programs like this have been implemented for the teachers and then also for the students, what, you, what the teachers start to see happening when students have had access to this kind of curriculum? So, you know, we're in our fifth year of implementation, and so now teachers are in, and schools, school-wide, are really seeing the benefit of teaching social and emotional learning in the classroom. 
So you have schools that maybe traditionally had a lot of behavior challenges. They are now seeing that their students are having conversations with one another about empathy. They're helping them each other calm down. They're using the skills, right, of belly breathing, for example, which is one of the skills for calming down that the curriculum we use teaches. They are having a better sense of community in the classroom. When something happens in the outside community and students come in for the day, they have a conversation about it and address it. They don't just start getting into the business of learning. And so students feel as though their emotions matter and that their feelings matter and that their thoughts matter and that they will be listened to. The same is true with the adults because the teachers actually learn these skills through teaching the curriculum. Right? These are not things that we were prepared to teach in our education preparation program. So teachers are really learning these skills alongside the students and thinking about how they calm themselves down or how they manage their fears or, you know, whatever the topic is. So you're seeing a, a, a shift in culture from adults and students. You're seeing a, a reduction in discipline referrals. You're seeing issues with behavior happening differently. So I'll give you an example. There is a elementary school that I work with and this elementary school, they've been doing social and emotional learning. They've been implementing for four years now. This is their uh, fifth year. And they had some issues with fourth and fifth grade, just a few issues with behavior. And the principal recognized that they were the last, you know, to be getting this curriculum. They haven't been getting it. You know, they've been getting it maybe since first grade, right? So all the other students have really been getting this from pre-K. So he was wondering what he should do to help the students with the behavior issues or a challenging classroom environment. So he bought the fourth and fifth grade teachers rugs for their classroom so that they had a space to build community. He noticed that they didn't have rugs and he... He bought them rugs and immediately their discipline issues went down because they formed more of a community. So it's those switches in the adult thinking and how you handle challenging behavior that have been really key, right? And maybe before we would just suspend students or we would give students behavior contracts or all of these things. Now we're looking at solutions that are proactive that are based on relationships and the building of community. That's so great and such a simple solution. Yeah. Could you talk at all about how this connects to parents? Like, have parents noticed a difference? Do they also feel like this information could be helpful for them? So I think connecting with parents is really critical. Parents do have positive things to say. They are noticing that their children are talking to them more that their children are more likely to greet them, that they're greeting each other. There's more of a sense of community. Parents are interested in social and emotional learning, and we're beginning to really look at what does this look like in supporting the parents of students so that parents can utilize some of these pieces at home. Well, and I would assume that at, at the very least for children with issues around behavior that you know, parents would be so excited to know that there's an alternative to just being suspended or, you know, getting in trouble all the time. I think it's that there's an alternative to getting in trouble or being suspended, but I think it's the collaboration. It's the fact that the adults in the building are working around a solution that's a, holo a holistic approach to really understanding the needs of the child and supporting the families 
to help support the student so that the student can be successful at school. Well, this is a, like really valuable information. And I just think something that, you know, more and more schools are probably going to want to investigate because there are so many issues around this topic. So thanks so much for this conversation. It was such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Many thanks to Lindsay for her insights on today's episode, and also to you, our listeners. We hope you'll join us for the next episode of PodClast. Thank you for joining us for this episode of PodClast. If you enjoyed today's episode, consider leaving us a review. Subscribe to PodClast to be notified when future episodes are available. Visit readinghorizons.com slash podcast to listen to past episodes and download free resources. PodClast is brought to you by Reading Horizons, the creator of a structured literacy program for beginning readers, struggling readers, and English language learners of all ages. By combining professional development, teacher-led instruction, and data-driven software, students receive targeted instruction that leads to efficient reading improvement. Visit readinghorizons.com trial for 14 days of free access to our software. Reading Horizons. Reading is for everyone.